0: Hey, folks, this is Charles Cole, two of the eight black hands just checking in before this episode. This is from our live show in Little Rock uh, and just want to send a huge shout out to the Reform Alliance. I mean, they were just amazing hosts. I, I mean, Little Rock was just a great, great city, great people. And we had a ball. We had a blast. So enjoy this episode and uh, leave us your thoughts in your comments. And also, if you want more exclusive content, we now have a Patreon. So go check that out. You get extra shows each week. Um, you get to see a lot of stuff. We're going to probably throw some behind the scenes stuff in there. So, you know, and there'll be some other perks that come with it. So go check that out. And that's patreon.com slash 8BH. And that's the number eight. Uh, one more time, that's patreon.com slash 8BH. I right, enjoy the show.
1: We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Elmeki, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Um,
2: we are the eight black hands. We are happy to be here. Thank you for having us in Little Rock. Uh, this is such an important city, it's my first time here. And uh, I had kind of an emotional experience today. Um, I went to see Central High School and I couldn't like believe I was actually standing there. I couldn't believe that you all are actually able to just go see this on a regular basis. It's just part of your landscape. It's, it's just normal to you to have that there. And uh, it was a proud moment to take pictures of it, before it, and send it to family members to show them I have made it, right? Like, 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 and they hadn't. Um, But it was an emotional experience because we go to a lot of cities and those cities aren't historic in the nature that this one is. And the story is rich here. The story is deep. And the more people we talk to, I feel like we could come back 10 or 15 times and keep talking to people. And we still wouldn't have the full story. There's just so much here. So thank you for your warmth and thank you for your story and thank you for your mark in history. Thank you for the landmarks that you have. I also would like to start out by thanking the ancestors for bringing us to where we are today, right? Because we are nothing without our ancestors, and I think that we should do a really good job of making sure that we're being good ancestors to the future generations. So I want to put that out there right away. But fellas, let's jump right in. I want to talk just quickly about your, if you had the experience I did today about the history
0: of Little Rock that you were, Actually, coming into contact with, uh, I definitely did. How you all? I'm Charles. It's nice to ver- it's nice to meet you. It's nice to be in your city. And you know, it was it was. I had one of those moments where now I understand how people feel when they come into Oakland and see stuff that the Black Panthers did and places where Bobby Seale was and Huey Newton. Uh, being at the Little Rock Nine Memorial was a, just incredibly. Uh, just emotional experience and reading what each of them had to say after the fact and just kind of, you know, coming to terms with like, those were children That actually like, you know, went through a whole bunch uh, to to, to make sure that we had more options. Right. And we're still here having this conversation in some form or fashion. So uh, that type of stuff gives you courage for what it is that you do. Like in the grand scheme of things, we four friends that get to travel and come and talk and speak, you know. um, But it was some folks that went through some real stuff. Not saying that we don't, but it was some folks that went through some real stuff in some uncertain times. And I'm just grateful, and I just hope that I know when you live a place, you know, sometimes you can, it, ain't, it don't hit you as hard. But, uh, you know, I, I thank you all for welcoming us. Yeah,
3: this is Sharice um, Omeki. Really good to be here. Uh, this is actually my second time uh, in little rock and, and you know people the last time said, "Well are you coming back i said i 'm definitely coming back i didn 't know how or when uh, but i 'm really grateful to be back and and you know to to see structures and and schools that have you know the history and and what people stood for. And a lot of times people make sacrifices like the Little Rock Nine and many others uh, to to change uh, this country you know they don't just do it for themselves they're doing it for us they're doing it for the future it's, it's like their sacrifice is like a kiss blown across centuries right like it just continues to reverberate and and i just felt really compelled to stand there and 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 just reflect on on what our people endure but also what they
2: envision mm. Did you say a kiss across centuries?
0: You, you know, man, you got Shakespeare <laughs> over start here. started out with the poetry
2: earlier. A kiss across centuries. Yeah, that's a long it just kiss, kiss, bro.
3: Yeah, but that's what it is, right? When you think of ripples, you know, a lot of times people talk about that in the form of a ripple. But I think about that, like, with all of that, that means you have to love your people. That's right. And I just felt like you know this, uh, and that's not for me. That's for my my principal, who, you know. But that's how she would talk about but your future work. But the way, you, the way you just
1: said it, the way you just said it, was like it was yours. Like you. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs>
4: right?
1: We all said
3: it. I mean, all, all of our. You know, again, this is this is this is like the the ripple effect, right? And first of all, you know what my teachers used to say, my principals, I am you, and you are me. And so that's that means you can steal my words? No, not yours. I'm definitely not stealing your words. Right. You can keep your words. Thank right. you. <laughs> I
1: appreciate that. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm Ray Ankrum. Uh, pleasure to be here and your acquaintance. Uh, it's like across the country when we do these, uh, these mini tours, uh, we talk about school integration. And I just want to give a shout out to you guys because we can't even have this talk without Little Rock. Right? Little Rock is the epicenter of having these kinds of conversations. And so for folks to be nationwide, having these kind of talks and not have come here, shame on them. So give yourselves a round of applause. Oh and again, uh, you guys have been hospitable. Uh, the energy that uh, since, I've, since I got off the plane, uh, the energy, amazing. I, I, I'm walking through the, the airport. I see one of my
0: fraternity brothers and I'm just like... Man, this is gonna be a good trip. So, Kappa's in the house. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so for the folks that's not used to our podcast, so we are four brothers and we are aligned in like what we believe that Black people deserve. But that's about what what we agree on ends, right? We argue, we spat at each other, man, but it's all love. And it's important for people to see four people that love black people, uh, but we disagree, but we still come together as a family, because that's what we are, right? right? Being family don't mean we agree on everything. Being family don't mean that it's always gonna be hunky-dory, but what it means is when somebody else tries to step in between, sometimes folks gotta catch these hands. So we here to represent for the eight million black across this country that have not been getting the education they deserve for a very long time. So we have fun on our podcast. We tackle a lot of things, but at the end of the day, even when we fight, we fought last night, right? Even when we fight, I love these brothers. They love me. And uh, and hopefully, you all will welcome us and we can leave saying that y'all love us too.
3: Why y'all set him here? <laughs> right next to you, they told me to, to just be
2: a barrier. <laughs> to be a barrier. So, um and, and on that point, Charles, I'll just say, like, it's a really big burden to have a podcast with three people who are wrong so often. <laughs> uh, and to be the one that has to bring the rightness to all of our shows. But, you know, but, uh, but we endure it, right? Like, because, you know, they wrong all the time. But I, I, let, I, I let them get away with it. So, aren't let, you hosting? Yeah, aren't you I'm host? hosting. So, let's do this. I want to do the hot take uh, you have been here for less than a day, but, you know, you've had some hours here now on a full day today. Uh, what's your hot take on what you have seen so far? You asking me? Yeah, we, do, we start right. with you,
0: bro. Hey, man, it's all good, man. I think, you know, my hot take is... There's always a lot of things that happen in local politics. There's always a lot of power issues or whatever the case is. And people try to blame education on new age things that's relatively new in the last 20, 30 years to make us forget that the schools that got our black babies in them, wasn't good to begin with and we deserve better. And I think that that's where the conversation has to start, right? The conversation has to start with us understanding how precious our babies are and not getting distracted by petty fights, things that ain't none of my business. What's my business is what's happening to the kids that look like me. Because, yeah, um, again, I say this often, a lot of these people don't know. I went to 11 elementary schools in three different states across this country. And none of those places were ready for black kids. But everybody was making money off of black children. And when we finally get some things that work for us and people start to make some choices and opinions, now everybody cares about black kids. And it's because black kids represent money for a lot of people um, when we should be, they should be representing our intellectual future. Mm. That's a hot take. Yeah. All right, fellas, let's see if you can keep up.
2: <laughs> Charles threw down the gauntlet. Yeah. I mean, what I would say is I, I want to
3: center in my as far as my hot take, center the Little Rock Nine. these these nine children and their families and when you fast forward um, to today you'll hear a lot of people talking about you know whether they're apologetic about how the system treated the Little Rock nine and black communities in Little Rock and you have other people who are proud about the sacrifices but my my question would be or I guess my, my statement would be this is their hope and dream and and the potential that they they threw across is unrealized so if if they if they knew at that time that what they were standing for this idea of educational justice this idea of access and opportunity they would not know they would not understand why we are where we are today they would have said that sacrifice for what for who? Ricky Warder style. Mm-mm. For who, for what? Like, what What did that, what occurred since then? Is, our black students better off? You know, so whether the apologies and the statues and, and the, the, the rhetoric, does it
2: match what they actually were standing for? Mm. So y'all are residents here, before we go to Ray, I just wanna do a quick test. If I were to ask you if black students in Little Rock are better off today than they were three years ago, who would say yes? Five years ago, who would say yes? Are black children better off than they were a decade ago? Who would say yes? Nobody, wrong. So black children in Little Rock are roughly in the same condition that they have been in for a long time. Is that a true statement?
5: Yes.
2: Wow, worse, I heard somebody say worse. Wow, and that's a true statement?
1: Wow, wow. Well, that'll get to my hot take, but go ahead, Ray. So I don't really have a hot take, but I just, I kind of view the facts and I go along with that. Integration failed. And uh, the fact that we're in this room right now having this conversation, it it supports my theory that integration failed black folks. The fact that all these years later, we're sitting up and we're talking about answers for black kids and black families. I mean, we had a really good school system prior to integration. It worked, there were black principals, there were black teachers. We, We celebrated black excellence. We're not celebrating black excellence anymore. We're all mad at each other. Uh, we're pointing fingers at each other. You know, it, it's become this narrative of, well, it's the charter schools and it's privatizers and it's this and it's that. No, these schools suck and we want better, all right? that's, that's, that's the bottom line. So I'm not about to let anybody drive my narrative or drive the narrative of this podcast or drive the narrative of black folks that we come into contact with. You are not about to take this and make it an argument about what's this and what's that. We're not here to talk about politics. We're not here to talk about any of that. We talk, we're here to talk about <laughs> these black kids not being able to read when they graduate high school. That's mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But that is politics. Yeah. To some degree, but not the way you're. Yeah. You always gotta say something. <laughs> it's a podcast, I talk.
2: It's, it's a podcast, he's supposed to say something. All right, well. Uh, <laughs> say it to you Ain't y'all glad I'm sitting right here? Yeah. I'm up in his ear. <laughs> So listen, this isn't a hot take. Um, but it's my closest, my closest attempt at one. I say this everywhere I go because I go to city after city after city and the pattern that I see over and over again in cities is that people, there's like new money coming into places, into cities. There are neighborhoods that are changing and turning over. There's gentrification happening in a lot of places. There are uh, things that have never been here before are there like, and, and fellas have heard me joke about this. Hot yoga and coffee and, and whiskey-infused coffee and and you know all these things that never existed there before and these cities are having these lifestyles That are being sold as like world-class lifestyles and people are moving into those cities to live that lifestyle and within blocks of Where all that is happening there are children living in the margins who will never enjoy the lifestyle of the city that they live in the best lifestyle that they live in and The way that I actually want want to approach that in every city is, show me the numbers. How many black children in this city can read? Because you can't have a mayor standing up talking about, we have a world-class city where the kids can't read. There's no such thing. There's never been a world-class city where kids can't read in that city, right? But this is a pattern. So this, I don't want to even put this on Little Rock. I see this city after city after, it's everywhere. Seattle, San Francisco, Oakland, Oakland, Boston, Minneapolis, the Twin Cities where I'm at, Baltimore, wherever you go you see this pattern to different levels of it. And I just want to bring the national attention to that, to a place that's local. Because sometimes people feel alienated by their problems like it's not happening happening anywhere else, right? Um, so my hot take on it is when I hear that like nine out of 10 kids in Little Rock are not proficient in reading, or math, what was it? Um, it's 10%, so, yeah. 20%. Yeah, in math it was 10% and in reading it was 20%. I think to myself, those aren't numbers. Those are prophecies, right? That is a vision of the future. That is telling you, because kids don't leave high school and disappear or evaporate. They have to go somewhere. Where do they go when they're done? You can't have a city turn out. Kids, you, you all have a high graduation rate. Kids are graduating. 82%. 82%. That is like, one, that's among the highest graduation rates I, I'll see anywhere. But if you are graduating and you can't read, what's next? What happens next? You become fodder and fuel for either jails or welfare, where more people can make money off of you, right?
0: You got to do the cotton argument. You got to do it. The cotton argument.
1: You got to do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. No. Should I do it? It's racially insensitive. It is racially
2: (laughs) insensitive. It is culturally insensitive. Should I not say it? Yeah, go ahead. No. And The show culture? Huh? Co- Say it. Say it, OK. I tell people that I think that black children are the new cotton um, because everybody wants to harvest them for their per-pupil income everywhere they go. And we walk into schools with our kids acting like we're broke, but there are entire industries of people that are paying their mortgage off the backs of our children, yeah. right? Entire industries, big pharma, Um, counseling, when we talk about wraparound services, I think our kids need them, but you you need to know who's gonna have the contracts for for all of that, right? Who's gonna be doing that? We, our children, if you started adding it all up, it's possible that you have a million dollar child, right? And you acting broke, right? You walk into a school with a child, two children, three children, you a millionaire. That child is worth so much money to that school, that industry, and that system. That's why people fight over headcount. They don't want you evacuating. They don't want you uh, um, disappearing, because headcount, black headcount, is the new cotton. An American public school system is a business where people are actually having their pensions like vested in keeping you in a certain place. And the last piece that I will say about that is, look up where your pensions are invested, where the pensions are invested of of some of the folks that are handling your children. Because I can guarantee you in just about every state that those pensions are invested in private prisons and child detention centers. And if you think I'm a liar, just look it up. Google it, look it up. Find your local pensions and look for three companies at the top of it and see if they have private prisons in there. I guarantee
1: you it's probably true. So before you go on, with that, I want to say New York disavowed. So New York is not a part of that conversation. I want to make that 100% clear, that New York, we have come to the light. And by that, that you mean
2: they divested of the private prison, yes, yes. And they were the first in the country to even find out that it was going on, and to do it.
0: Can, Can I just have the people in here who are parents raise their hands real quick? Keep those hands up, and if you are a student that's in schools right now, raise your hand, please. Keep, keep your hands up, parents. I wanna just see, I wanna get a sense. Okay, thank you. The we reason why- see, We see a young man back there. Yeah, the, re- the reason why I wanted to ask that is because when I hear districts argue about where kids go, where they can go, where they can't go, it sounds like when enslaved people used to run away and people used to ask for papers. Like, your child doesn't belong to any system. Like, children don't belong to districts. They belong to parents. And somebody said that earlier, and I wanted to reiterate that, because they asked us to do it. Because people are saying things like, there are folks, raise your hand if you've moved, if you've changed schools for your child. Raise them high. Mm. And I wanna, I wanna say this because that's, as black people, one of the things that we have done, especially if you grew up poor, is you said education was one of the gateways into a different type of life.
1: Why, why do they say it though? <clears throat>
0: they say that because when we go to college, that's just one of the fastest ways to go from the, the lower class to the middle class, right? Mm. The reason why I say that is because when you move your child, I worked at a district. I worked in a superintendent's office. And the way that some of these people talk about your kids, they talk about like it's cattle. Like we're losing the cattle, we're losing the product. Like districts should not trap, they should attract. I don't belong to you, I'm not in your system. So when people say this school is stealing money from the district, that presupposes that that district owns your child. Per pupil money belongs to the child and the family. The pupil is called per. Right, (laughs) Right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs>
2: per people, it's not called district per district.
0: So you know, I, I say so that to people. say I don't. I. I I trust you as a parent to do what's best for your child. The one thing that you have that parents actually give up, and I see it the most, they give up their power and their expertise over their baby. And it doesn't matter if you got a doctorate degree, it don't matter if you only got a third grade education. You are the expert on your child and you have to maintain that. Because you are the only people that have to live with the consequences of that. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, we have all these petty arguments from two gangs fighting or whatever the case is. Right. But you gotta to live with the consequences of what's happening, and if a school is not working for your child, you should be able to put that child wherever you want to. I don't care what you pick. I don't care what you pick, but I'll be damned if you tell me what to pick. That's right. Because that's my baby, right? So this is where I get confused because I don't even see what a controversy is, right? If we have, how are we gonna have a controversial conversation? How many of you gonna have a controversial conversation about his kids?
6: Exactly.
0: And it's because people don't see you as full equals that should be able to have a say of your child. They see you as cattle, they see you in the way as when a slave person used to give, used to have a baby and they became the property of somebody else. That's your baby, and I just wanted to say that because we gotta start from that premise to have a real conversation. All right.
1: I hear you, I hear you, but like, this, is, this is making me feel real uncomfortable, bro. Why? It's making me feel uncomfortable why? because it's like, why you always gotta bring racing to it? Oh shit. <laughs> what? How do you how do you separate
2: race Yeah, apart, what, what are you about to say, man? I'm not nah. about to say nothing. Uh,
0: he do this, he does this every time. Yeah. He just interrupts. He about to do? And then we be quiet to listen. And, and he then has nothing to say. He, he has don't has say nothing. To say. We don't what's what, what you, what's your thought, right? Yeah, come on, let's hear so, it. So
1: so my thoughts are this. Yeah, right. let's hear and, it. And, 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 and it paints off of uh, what you, the the what you just said. These are your kids. And if there's anybody that's the expert of your child, it's you. And so I think that in terms of bringing the family in, there needs to be more parental engagement in terms of uh, coming into these schools. You guys need to feel welcome with coming into these schools. So if you're going into a school and you don't feel welcome, you feel like you're being ostracized or you feel like they're painting you out to be this aggressive person or whatever, whatever, then that's not the school for you, right? So when you come in and you're like, I want to advocate for my child. I want to know what, why, why I want to be a partner in this whole situation, right? It's like these schools bring you in and they're not trying to make you a partner. They're trying to make you like an adversary, like we know more than you. Well, you don't know more about my child than me. I don't care what school you went to. I don't care about any of that. I know my child and I know what's gonna motivate my child to to thrive and to be the student that I want him to be. I don't care about what you think. And it's like we have to empower ourselves to take on that attitude with regards to how we approach
0: our kids. So, so play the devil's advocate real, real quick, no, because so, yeah. I, I saw a hand up. But yeah. so there are cards on your on your chairs. Yeah, you if right. you got a question, yeah. write it on that card. Okay. Um, definitely write that down. And our Twitter handle is at eight black hands one as well, and you can engage us. It's at the number eight black hands one on Twitter. Uh, we definitely engage with people. Go ahead. So I'm gonna play devil's advocate and. Uh, Sharif,
2: you've been quiet a little bit, so I'm just going to pick on you with this one. right? Um, it sounds good to say that parents are in control and in charge and they know their children and all that, but there's lots of people in education who honestly don't believe that to be true. Right? And they feel like they have a lot of reason to not believe that to be true. Right? I mean, so so what would your message be to people who say, we really are the experts um, in this school. Like, we really are the ones that you should, like, trust teachers. Trust us. We know what we're doing. Just trust us. Give us the children. Bring them to us, fed and clothed and ready to learn, and we will send them back home to you, educated. What would you say to those parents? First,
1: answer it as a, as a parent, then answer it as a former principal. You just. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I mean want to hear the answer? I'm so interested. Yeah,
3: so, I mean, as a parent of six children um, who've gone to all different different types of schools. You got baby babies, baby boy. babies. Jesus. Babies, adults. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I wasn't parenting, but you know, anyway. The uh you know like I, I can't understand an educator, like to me this is inherently disrespectful for an educator who's been there one year or 30 years to think that, you know, they know my child better than me or that they are, their investment in, their chi- in my child is more than mine. Now they may get to see my child in a different light, a different angle, hear, there, build a relationship with them, like that's fantastic, like that's what I want. But if you're not looking at me as a whole person, as the sovereign parent, sovereign adult, then that means you're already
2: creating this tension. But now now what they will say to you, in fairness, what they will say to you is, they get to see things that you as a parent don't see. Right, they're with kids all day long in a classroom, and not all your babies are angels. I just want to like b- break the news to everybody. I got five and I know they're not angels. I wish I can have an app to see what they're doing during the day because I know. Got so many you know, kids We have a lot of kids between us. I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't. Um, okay. But teachers will tell you that they see things that you don't see and you're not privy to as a parent during the day. So what do you say about that? The, my
3: reaction to that, and I would say this even as a principal, you know what parents also don't see? they don't see what kids see you doing absolutely my kid, i don't see what my kid sees yeah. with the adults in that building the adults in that system the, the paradigms that are created. Like I don't, I may not necessarily see directly the racism that's inherently in a lot of these schools. But I can see it manifest in how my child feels about that building, how they feel about the, the uh, their experience. And so we talk about like growing up black in America is very different than being growing up black in schools. Yeah. You know, that, that stuff doesn't magically become anti-racist just because you work in a school. Right? And so if I understand like what my child experience is likely to be in America, as a black child, black boy or girl, then I also have an understanding of what their experience may be in a school, unless they have this very deliberate anti-racist pedagogy, thought, and practice. It's, it's only school. Everywhere else, people talk about, you know, the customer is always right, except in schools.
1: Yeah, because you are the customer. The
3: customer is always right, except. If you're a parent with your baby in the school, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Any other time, you're right. We're gonna figure this out. I'm gonna practice. My apology In the school, nah. It's you. It's your fault. It's your bad. This is your
2: child. You know, like so. To me, that's so, the so you mindset. don't see a room in the conversation for that that partnership between parents and schools, because what you hear from a lot of educators is that they, that. If you bring me the kids well-rested, and they have a list of things, you know, I can't remember them all, but like well-rested and fed and all that type of stuff, um, then it'll work. But if you don't do that, it won't
3: work. Well, I would say the other side, I would, I would say as a parent, I'd say, bring me the educator that loves black children like they love their own. Exactly. Yes. Don't just tell me what to bring. Don't just tell me what to send. Let me tell you what you need to bring to the table. You know, so the same way that a teacher needs to take a math test and a literature test, they need this certificate. Where's your certificate to show that you love black children?
1: that you will honor black children, that you believe in their God-given potential. Yeah, but these are the kind of conversations, me as a parent, like I'm different as a parent than I am, well, no, I'm the same way as a superintendent, but me as a parent, like I'm on a hundred, right? And so when I go to back to school night, I have my list of questions. So you're not just asking me about my child. I want to ask you about you. I want to ask you about how, what your approach is to the, to, to the curriculum, uh, how are you going to engage my child? Uh, how are you going uh, put to put put together anti-racist things in this classroom to where my kid can react and counter-react? And then how are you going to provide my kid this space when he feels a certain kind of way about something that you may say? Those are all things that I want to know prior to... Uh, the school year beginning and and, and things starting with my child but these are questions that we all need to ask as parents if we're not asking these questions as parents then we're kind of failing our kids we're sending our kids to the wolves and I don't necessarily know if that's a good idea
0: so another point uh, if you're writing questions if you can like if you raise it up can somebody on staff just grab those questions and then as those questions come just bring them over to the Chris side Chris I can uh, get them organized for you or whatnot. um Because we want to hear from you and interject it into the conversation, but here's something that I do want to bring up right because like When when I was doing my research around how black kids navigate and became doctors and all this stuff um, I wrote that book for black. I wrote that book book for moms because this is a scary time If you are a black mom trying to raise a black kid, it's scary for you for your father, too but What we tried to do is build something that was practical uh, to kind of help out black moms, right? People were asking for like some pretty practical things you can do as a parent. One, you want to put your kid in the best school that works for them. You might have two kids, one school works for this child, one school works for the other one. But what the research actually showed when I was doing it was saying that just looking for the best possible school in front of your child is actually really impactful. But then once you find that school, that's just the beginning. Right, regardless of what you choose, right? Like, you have to set the bar for your child. Mm -hmm. Don't let people that don't know or love your family set the bar for what your child can and can't be. Like, I don't care if you put your kid in the best school in America, that's still our responsibility, not just as a parent, but also as a community, right? You dictate the bar. But then, in addition to that, for your little black child, that's gonna be a black man or woman. You still wanna wrap them in other services, right? It, it, it feeds into your, your theory, but some of this stuff is still needed, right? Like, you wanna put them around successful black people. You wanna put them in spaces where they can try new things. You wanna put them in pa- places where they are exposed to things that they might wanna do when they get older. And indifferent to that, right? Like, you want to show them black success. So, finding the school and continuing to hold that school accountable, pushing for better schools. When I was in school, every school I went to looked like a prison. Every single school. The, the furniture was old, it, 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 the, the places stank. They called us miniature thugs. I went to the same Did elementary you say they school. Stink? They stank, bruh. I went to the same elementary school as Huey P. Newton. Wow. In that school, I worked in a district, and we ended up merging that school. When we merged that school, four kids could read in the school. Four kids could read at grade level in the school. Huey P. Newton, one of the greatest revolutionaries of all time, starts off this book that has been translated into all these languages, one of the most important books for an activist that you will ever read. He starts the book off by talking about the Oakland Public Schools and how they don't love our kids, right? Like, you got to understand, man, we, I say that we're in this alone. I say this a lot, like we are on our own. And what I mean by that is there's a collective responsibility that even as we look for the best, you're going to be frustrated. It's going to be hard. It's going to be distractions. But at the end of the day, Mm. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is if you making sure you you get what you need for your child. When you lay your head down at night, can you say, I did everything in my power to make sure this baby had everything he he needed to succeed? Mm. So if you want something practical, that's a place where we start from a, pra- a place of practicality. If you want something practical, meet your neighbor today. And what you say is, look, I can't go to every school board meeting, I can't go to everything, but if we got kids in the same school, I got your kid this day, you got my kid that day. That means on Saturdays, you come together and do like the Chinese folks do in Oakland. And in, Chi- in Oakland and Chinatown, they got their school where they go, but every day after school, those kids have to either go to Chinese school every day of the week, or all day on Saturday. Saturday, You don't need the school to do that for you. This community right here in front of me could be like, hey, we bringing our people together and we're going to talk about the history of the Little Rock Nine. You see what I'm saying? Like, this is a tandem thing. We can point fingers all day, but as soon as you point those fingers, baby, our babies are still ending up in the jail system that's built for them, waiting and ready.
1: You can't trust everybody with with your kids, so
0: I don't know what he's talking about. I said together. He just be saying stuff. I said come together. (laughs) I can't stand Ray. I I know. I'm about
1: to kick him off the podcast like any day now. That's the third time you said that today, and I'm starting to feel away about it. (laughs) Oh, so don't say it again.
2: I mean, if you wear those shoes again, bro, like it's it's actually not going to work out real well for you.
1: If anybody in this room knows what these shoes are, raise your hand if you know what these, these things. Look at the kids. That's what I'm talking, that's the connection that I need to make. I don't need to make no connection uh with you.
2: See, even this young man knew it. Uh, Exactly. I'm going to leave him alone. I'm going to leave him alone. (laughs) I don't want to comment, but whenever you want to jump into that. You know, um, I want to say this selfishly. I, I actually was an activist, a parent activist, who eventually ran for school board and didn't expect to win, but I won. And when I won, it was like kind of a shock because really I only ran because I wanted to be able to say whatever I wanted to say and have a stage to say it on. So I actually like was running to just tell people what I had to believe, you know, what they should believe, and 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 I won uh, um, with forty-two thousand votes and it was, a, in one way, it was kind of, like, well, damn. Flex on them. Flex on them. votes in some I, cities, you
1: could be the mayor. I, right.
2: <laughs> I, I actually had more votes for me than the state reps had for them, you know, with, with that, than they were getting for them.
1: Who ran your campaign? But
2: SEIU um, ran my campaign. And, and, and so I, I actually get on the school board, and it was like a opening a world for me that this is a business, because I was an activist before, but the day I became a school board member, it was like open book. Now I can get all the secrets. Anything that I ask, for, they have to give me any information that I need, they just have to bring it right to me and let me sift right through it. And I was a very studious individual when it came to that stuff. But in terms of the village. There were times where we were making decisions that I knew for a fact that my colleagues were gonna go the wrong way on it and it was gonna be disastrous for the black community in our city, like for our town. And I knew in any of those given nights that if we could've got just eight people, what I call the nodding coalition, one person to come up and speak and seven people to stand behind them and nod, (laughs) right? If we could've got a nodding coalition on any given night, we could've stopped hundreds of dollars from being passed way or that way right and that was my experience in learning the power of like organizing I didn't see it was a failure of our community I thought saw it as a failure of myself because I I just thought as elected officials we should be helping our community know when these things are coming up and we should be asking like you know doing a a two-way dance with them but showing up is like one of the practical things that I think people can do you can't make every board meeting but your board isn't important if you have one your board is important. <laughs> if you don't have one, getting one is important, right? Like, like uh, d- democracy is a good thing, like when it comes to education, but it doesn't work if you're not there. As a matter of fact, any people can have all kinds of, they have their way with you when you don't show up and you're not there. Right. Does that sound like preaching? It does Does it sound like, like I'm preaching, preaching people? to people? I don't mean to be preachy, but as an elected official, you want people, you want to look out because my colleagues' people showed up. They had phone trees, they had little wine meetings, they had little living room meetings where they would all like sit and plot and write their notes and say which one was gonna take on which one of us and they just were so efficient, they would come up and they would have all their little notes and they would just, I'm just here to talk about such and such and blah, 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 was also polite and you know, blah, blah, blah and they were doing their business. They were handling their business. Um, I couldn't interrupt it. But anyways, go ahead. Sh- Sh- no, Sh- I was going to say, I mean, it's a, it's a great point. I think what you're, what you're talking about, and it goes
3: back, back to that practicality uh, piece, Fred Hampton would always say, we're not outnumbered, we're out-organized. Mm. We're out-organized. And so if our people if we stand on the shoulders of Little Rock Nine, if we stand on the shoulders of people like our elder Miss Nelson um, sitting on the front row, right? If we stand on their shoulders, then, and we have that vision of what we're not going to tolerate, right? Because they're they're gonna sell you with a bunch of goods, like, hey, be patient, don't go anywhere. You know, Dr. King was saying they're telling us to wait too long, right? They're still telling, just wait. The other thing they'll say is, we need more money. Now, just imagine that the, when the Ferguson Rebellion happened. Imagine if the only response was the only thing the police department needed was more money. How ridiculous would that sound? It sounds just as ridiculous. School systems to say
1: the only thing we need is more money. How many? How many kids are in, in Little Rock? You just you just pulled a stat up. I'm sorry, what did you say? How many students? In this district, there are 22,300 and what? 38. 38. 22,300. Per pupil is 13,000. And you got, yeah, you got, I'm I'm making a point here, sir. Um, And you have over $300 million in in, in budget. Over $300 million in budget. And and the per
2: pupil income revenue for the students in this city is is higher than the national
1: average. Right. And so that's that's more than enough funding in order for you to give adequate education. I don't know if it's more than enough funding. Funding. I don't know if it's ever more than enough funding. I, I would never sign on to
2: that as a statement, that it's more than I'm what you need. I'm signing on to that as a statement. Yeah, but you stingy. You have what you need You stingy. Give, you stingy. Well, I
1: am. I'm yeah, a Republican. Yeah, you stingy. So I'm right? very fiscally right. responsible. Right. Um, but The but only one. In, in in that sense, if you're giving me what I need in order to put forth an education for my student, then I need to go and I need to speak to my budget department to talk about where this money is going and who this money is being allocated to. Because, again, to speak to speak to y'all's point earlier. We're doing this on the backs of, of black babies. Yeah. And so black black babies should be, and black families should be able to take something home with them in terms of their kids being 10th grade. I mean, bro, being listen,
2: listen, the budget is yours. The budget is the public's. The yes. budget is, you know, uh, 300 and something million dollars. That That's not the district's budget. That's your budget. And it's open to you. You can see it for what it is. You can you can make demands of it. Um, uh, it, it it's yours. But, so let's transition. Because mm-hmm. I feel like we're, we're dancing around like something. That, so let's that's get bigger, to these questions right, right, then. Yeah, something that's bigger I think we, we dance around. Um, in every city our children are, are, are I, I don't want to use the word crisis, but our children need help everywhere I go. But there are adult people who are arguing all around them about what's the best way to solve the problems with them, what's the best thing to do. Political people are having political arguments about what's the best thing to do, right? Um, I want to ask you guys like what you think about some of the main narratives that you hear. When people come to try and open new schools, start new avenues, uh, basically what I consider to be busting kids out of systems that they've been in for years,
1: um, you know what their arguments are. What are they? What are some of the arguments? Number we, one we argument you're going to hear is you're siphoning, you're siphoning money from the public schools. Siphoning argument. Uh, the siphoning kids. Yeah. 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 Taking money. You want to
2: privatize schools. the system. Yeah. You're siphoning, siphoning. You hate public education. You want to defund public education. You want to destroy the public schools. You are a tool of the oppressors, and, and the, you, are, you work for the billionaires and all that, right? Everybody works for billionaires, baby. Right, right. Everybody right, works for right, billionaires, right, just right. so you know.
1: Right, right. right. Um, if you got a job, in some capacity, you work for a billionaire. <laughs> okay, all right. So If it's a legal job, <laughs> if the job is completely legal, well, even if it's um, illegal. And you work. Because you got to re-up and, I, I don't want to. You know?
2: <laughs> and, you know, at some point, you work for a billionaire. And if you don't work for a billionaire, you might be a billionaire. Just want to be real. Um, but those are like, listen, we hear those arguments all the time. I think we become immune to them, basically, because they're so, I, I think, overplayed. If all of those things were true, even if they were all true, you still have kids that can't read and you don't have a plan as a city to take care of that. So distracting me with an argument about rich people doing rich people things is not making kids read. Like that, so, so, so if you're gonna get me with that argument, privatizing all that stuff, whatever, let me agree with you and say yes, okay, let's, let, let me go with you, but, but now what? What do we do? OK, we all agree now, it's all privatizing. You we know, privatized everything, right? Like, like, like publicizing things is good, right? <laughs> right? Like, like publicizing, y- y'all want to get back into publicizing housing? Or how about, I got a better one. You want to publicize cheese? Yeah. Who wants you, to do that? You always do this. I, I you know, ate that
0: cheese, bro. Yo, that, cheese was, that cheese was amazing. That cheese was amazing. It was thick. And now raise, would, raise your hand if you would, had that government cheese before. What about government I, cheese, babes. Yeah, absolutely. And so I would melt wait, that wait, cheese wait, down wait, wait. and put it on nachos. Raise your nacho. hand if you thought it was good. Raise your hand if you thought it was good. <laughs> see, I see <laughs> this everywhere I go. I, I, I everywhere I go. Yeah. Everywhere but, I go. But, but, but I think to that point, though, right, I grew up in public housing. I grew up in the projects, right, with my grandma. Mother the goal wasn 't for that to last forever. The goal was for me to get out of that and have some options later on in my life That's right so right. Everything else is like, yo, this is to kind of give you a boost up to live the type of life you want, mm-hmm. but an education is the only place that we want to put you back in the project. Mm-hmm. I went. We went to visit a school today, and it was one of the most beautiful schools inside that I had ever seen. Shout out, Scholar Made. Scholar Made is that what the name of it? Scholar Maid, like, Dr. Anderson. I, it, was, it was new furniture. Yeah. There were kids being able to move around. They, were, they weren't being bossed around. They weren't being told, like, they, they. these kids felt beautiful. They, They. I mean, exactly, right? But no, no, they, they were beautiful. All Y'all are beautiful, but they felt beautiful. Not only Say, y'all are beautiful. D- d- what is that, that? Y'all are beautiful. What, does that mean? Mean? what is that? Oh, Let me tell beautiful. you what that means. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you what that means. He, so wait a second. So Ray asked me, "What did I mean when I said that they felt beautiful?" In these other systems, man, when you come in and you already a target, you already a thug, you already a hoe, you already going to get pregnant, you already going to be in a system, you are not being made to feel beautiful. Our kids are beautiful and they are worthy, and in a place where they, they get to smile and they get to like be actual children while learning, oh, and by the way, they can read, right? Like That's something that's beautiful. In the schools that I went to, they treated me like I just robbed a bank. I was seven years old. I'm nine years old like you are like treating me like I'm about to do something right like and that's not when you grow up like that it has a lasting effect. Let's just just. Yeah, so what's the answer to that, though? So the, what's the, the answer? Because everybody has the, had The answer that. is what's to answer? know what you're worth and demand it. The answer is everybody here needs to go to that damn scholar-made school, and if you ain't in that school and you can't get in, you demand that your school ends up looking like that with black people at the helm. See, I went to a school where I saw black people leading it. I saw black people teaching these kids that understood who they came from. I just need us to really understand the history real quick, OK? Many of us are ancestors of enslaved people in this country all right slavery ends and as chris likes to point out right after slavery ended, that 20 to 30 year period was what happened in that in that time
2: so in the 20 to 30 years after slavery it was the fastest acquisition of literacy in human history right and they didn't right. have so they, that mean they didn't have a lot of money right they just come out of trauma, the most traumatic we've ever been. They came out of poverty, the most po- impoverished we've ever been. They came out of like disorientation and community, the most disoriented we've ever been. They came out of family structures having been disrespected for years, the most it's ever been like that. Yeah. Like if you if you really think about it, we're in the best possible position we've ever been in if we think about like where we came from so st- and what so people st- have done. So let's stay so, there, right? Because there. that's the
0: first myth yeah. that's busted, right? right? Is that we ain't got enough money. These are people that just. Were enslaved and couldn't read themselves. Or it's just because the kids are poor. Right, right. Like we can't say teach that poor
2: like, kids. We like right? our children. Like, like people awfulize your child in a way that's so like, like ninja. Right. Like, like it sounds like compassion. Um, like they care about your child, but it, it, it really is not compassion. But, you know? so, so,
0: so, so let's go down Man, the timeline. Right? Wait, let me, wait, wait. Let me finish. Let me finish. So we, we so then we build our own schools and you got black educators, men and women, like we have a lot of really, really good black educators in black schools, right? And then we start to build our own economies. We start to have our own things. And then Brown versus Board comes, right? And it has this idea, but also what it does is it crushes those schools. You have black people who were scholars, okay, that could not get jobs in schools because they closed them all down and made you go to the white schools, right? So we lost the black educator. Now we have less than 2% of all teachers are black men right? But then it doesn't stop there, right? Now, we have to go to the schools of the people who used to see us as property, and we are expecting them to love us and see us the same way. you expecting them to treat you as good as they treat their babies. They think they're supposed to still own you. So then we get surprised because in your city, 15% of your 10th graders that are black are reading on grade level and we arguing with each other about stupid stuff. I just need us to really understand that. And what, you know what's waiting for them after that? That prison industrial complex, which right now has more, we have more black prisoners now than we've ever had slaves. And guess what we're getting out that prison industrial complex? Slave labor, right? So we have to understand our history and understand where we are so we can have the right conversation and argument, because as long as we down here fighting with each other, our babies are still ending up in that jail system. Okay, so so, so that's great. And I, I love how <laughs> I feel
2: you
1: brought us from slavery yeah. to the civil rights movement to current. I love that, that is amazing, right? But what are these parents in here going to do? And so we need to get to their questions so that we can help them build agency so that they can take something away from this.
2: Does anybody have questions that they want to stand up for? Because these are these are more comments, but uh, if you want to stand up and just project if you have a question. If I may. Yes, you may.
5: You, everyone, uh, the two of you here, yes, sir, the two of you gentlemen, you talked about an Please area. The mic. Oh, you talked, excuse me. You talked about an area that I think we need to dwell on for a minute, and that was communi- the parents, the teachers, and other school officials communicating. Because it, when, you, when the parents go to the school, it gives us an opportunity to tell the teacher what we expect. Because there are many teachers that don't know. The teachers doing what it takes for them to get a grade, not our children. And we, you hinted, I think, about a mouthpiece, I'll say that, for the parents and the students. And it's every, there are many parents that aren't equipped to deal with those teachers. So we need to have another mechanism, organization, mouthpiece, that we can send, as you say, what do you call it, when one speak and the other stand behind it.
2: The nodding coalition.
5: We must communicate to the teachers. Many teachers are not equipped for the position they are holding. There are many teachers that do not expect the high of our students. They expect mediocre. And one of my grandchildren, and she was not quite six, she was already impacted by discrimination. I pick her up in the evening, and she would say, I said, how was your day? She said, she called the teacher's name. She said, she won't let me answer questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I raised my hand. She won't let me answer questions. Right. And I said, I wonder why. So, so, so. I, she said, I wonder why. Mm-hmm. I asked her, I wonder why she pointed to the back of her hand. She was a nice chocolate color. And that was before she got to the first grade. Now that's a stopper for a child. And in talking with that teacher, she said, oh, she's doing fine. I said, well, show me. Oh, she's doing fine I say I say show me her grades show me her papers show me her work and there was C's and much of the grading was done it was a narrative that I didn't understand but I had to let her know that was not okay that was not okay No, no no <laughs> but, but and and when, and when when you go to the school for a disciplinary for a disciplinary problem that's a good chance to tell the teacher what you expect and how you want them to respect that child sometimes you have to say what you got to say with the child outside because the child may not need to hear what I got to tell that teacher. (laughs) Then let the child come in because I'm going to make sure he knows he must respect that student as well as the student respect him or her. Then I bring the child in and tell her that she must respect the teacher. And, well, that's enough. But when I... When my children went to school, I had to go to school for other children.
0: Yeah. And ma'am, I gotta be the bad guy, I'm sorry, because we, I appreciate that, I, and I wanna make sure that we actually find you right after, because I wanna, because I just, so when, thank you very much. Can y'all clap it up for her, please? And my, my apologies for having to, to to stop it. You're fine, thank you so much, because we clap it up for our elders. But yes, definitely set it up. Um, So, so, what we want to do is, we definitely want to make sure we get to your questions. Um, we will, we will stick around afterwards for folks to kind of give us their comments and things like that. So when we call on folks, though, we are asking that folks uh, ask ask a question. Um, but thank you so, so much, sister. I see one over here and then two. But oh, no, no. Actually, you know what? Actually, wait. This sister right here. You better have a question. No, no. Because I've, I've been tracking wait, wait. your energy the
1: whole this, time you've been in here. This sister
0: right here had her hand up uh, way earlier, so I want to make sure. We get to her question. And can you tell us your name? I can hold it. Thank you.
4: Uh, My name is Janice Massey and I've been fighting with the state of Arkansas for 10 years. And I had a stroke and a seizure fighting them back in 14. But God healed me. So to fight another day. So um, my thing is, as I go into the schools. I find that I'm being blackballed. I'm being marked. Um, I'm having to take my child from school to school. It's I can't even homeschool because as you try to homeschool, they don't want to give you all the paperwork that you. Need. This is what I'm finding as a black parent. I don't know about nobody else who's tried to homeschool their, their you know their child. But this is what I'm running into. And as I have to go into the schools and take care of official school business. You know cuz I do have a right to be at the school, you know. They act like I don't. They act like my child is a ward of the state. They don't want me to have no parent involvement, but I'm a parent who's overly involved. I'm an advocate for my children. I, my, I've been fighting also with the state of Missouri before I moved here uh, to get my child on the IEP, you know, which he did get. I also fought for seat belts for uh, school buses. They put them in there, you know, because I wrote a letter. Um, but my thing is here. How do you stop these schools from attacking you, blackballing you, sicking security on you as you coming in trying to take care of school business? You know, I've had to move my child because they banned me from schools because I'm trying to go in and take care of school business. And it's not right. I have uh, rights, you know, that have been violated from school to school.
0: Thank you. Thank you. That's a good question. Can we clap it up for her and her question, please? Let's discuss. So, so uh, to answer your question, as a
1: former principal, current superintendent, so I, I don't, I don't have office hours. If a parent comes to my school, then it's open door. So like whatever I'm doing. Is not, impor- is not important at that point. The parent becomes the most important person uh, f- at, that, at that moment. But, what, but, but what that's about when that's, yeah. not, happening? Yeah, that, that's not happening. That's, that's not happening. not I understand in this case. Case. And so that. And so what I'm saying is that if it's not happening, it should be happening. So how do we get ourselves to a space to where it is happening?
0: Right. So, so, I'm, uh, you, uh, so as a social worker, right. this is one of the things that I kind of had to deal with with folks, right? And so what we would do is, one, I would have her document everything that happened and we would try to track it, right, and create a paper trail. So I think you should definitely be tracking things in an email, like email them and make sure you keep all that stuff. Then we would have them bring people from their community with them and like request that time together, right? And then, because this is the thing that a school don't want. They can put out one parent but you don't want 10 black mamas that's mad at you showing up to your school together, right? So I think, so it's, it's different. It's various ways to kind of put pressure on folks and then on top of that, I would strongly suggest you find other programs and other things in addition to whatever school they're at to make sure your kid is getting what they need so who are the mentors that you have in, in, in that child's life that can actually help to supplement some of those things and i don't and we should talk a little bit more afterwards so i can get a better sense of you know if you have a church community here if you have friends here because sometimes people are alone right so so it's different for different type of people and i but i just wanted to i wanted to let you know i hear the pain that you have and it's a lot and so so there are some things that we can do for you as a loner And I and I will make sure I give you my actual information, and then I I will do whatever I can to help you out with that. Yeah,
4: that's why I'm here.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: I want to join. I want to be one of
0: the ones. Absolutely. Mm
4: -hmm. Absolutely. Make
0: changes. Get something done. So yeah. So so after the show, I'm gonna make sure that I find you and we talk a little bit more about some possibilities here. So there was there there was a question here right here, which is. I see what you did there. We're going to clap for this black man that's in here, baby, because they say we don't care about our kids. They say we don't show up. They like to make us look like we don't, like ain't no black kid got a daddy. So
2: appreciate the dialogue, fellas. I really do appreciate this dialogue. But my question is, uh, what are some examples of institutional racism against
0: black kids? Can you repeat the question? He said, what are some examples of institutional racism against black kids?
7: Woo!
0: Man, we should Clap have got that one got earlier. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, who wants to touch it? Cause I got
1: a I got a Bible full of. Yeah, I mean, you can't wake up in America and not yeah, be, I mean, feel no. institutionalized
3: racism. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, let's think about Ms. Nelson. She talked about her six-year-old, right? The the studies show that kids as young as three and four experienced racism in their school, in preschool. So imagine experiencing it at three, then again at six. For her six year old to say like, this is why I'm being treated this way, to touch the back of her hand. Like so internally, that's what she communicated. So internally, what did she, how many experiences did she have to have before she did that? And it goes from everything from who's in front of, who gets hired to teach your child. If your child, if black children deserve the most qualified student the most qualified teacher or do they get somebody that not only is inexperienced but don't really they not really feeling them anyway right it could be from what materials are placed in front of them right texas next door to you they publish out books that black people were immigrants coming to this country exactly. right they start black history in many schools and districts across this country, because Malcolm X said, it ain't just Mississippi that's Mississippi, America is Mississippi, right? And so this idea of how you're starting your your history as enslaved people. Like, if that becomes in the construct of your mind, they no longer have to do institutional racism, right? Carter G. Woodson said, if I make you feel inferior, you're going to automatically go to the back door. And if there is no back door, you will build one. Mm. That's institutional racism.
0: Mm. Next one. Thank you, Sharif. Got that brother back there. Good to see you again, bro. Oh, yeah, good afternoon. I may not (laughs) need a mic. No, we'll we'll repeat the question, but we need to get stuff on mics for the podcast. But go ahead and ask. It's fine. By the way, thanks
7: for coming to the
0: show today, Black Hope. Thanks for Mm -hmm. having... Does everybody know about his radio show?
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No.
7: Uh, Let, know. Okay. Let just, know. Just, just quickly, shameless promotional plug. Uh, my name is David W. Coleman. We do a show every day here in Little Rock called Black Focus Radio. You can get it on joinedradio.com. Okay? We talk, uh, our theme is our issues, our solutions, our voices. Mm-hmm. We talk about us. We are unabashedly black. Blackity, 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 blacky, black. Okay? <laughs> so, uh, just quickly, I heard you all just mention dads, and that's something that I'm passionate about. <clears throat> The common denominator of all the negative behavior our children participate in is fatherlessness. That includes negative. Things that goes on in school, grades, things of that nature. Right. Can you all address some of the things that you all are trying to promote or talk about as it relates to getting fathers back into the lives of schools? Yeah. We've seen that when those fathers get involved with their children, their school grades go up, their participation <laughs> in community activities, Absolutely. all of the positive things that happen. It seems to be that states across this country has targeted fathers for whatever reasons and uh, you talk about a negative stereotype. So can you all address that aspect of it and what some of the things that you can suggest to get more fathers involved in the lives of their children and I'm thinking about and I don't know if you all have seen the video of the mother cutting the child's hair Mm -hmm. because the father got it fixed. Those are the types of things that are going on that affect relationships with children and then that consequently affects how they participate Paid in outward activities, in school, including schools. So, again, Thank thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, man. we'll certainly you. stay in Clap touch, Clap it up okay? for this brother,
0: man. We definitely got some thoughts about that. How you doing? Uh, I, I, so, I'm going to, so these are, these are three dads, so I'm going to let them actually answer that dad part. I was going to address the, the, the homes that may not have a father in them from, from some of the research that I did, but I'll let you all start on for the dads that are there. So at the beginning of the school
1: year, um, I, I tasked my staff with uh, with getting the fathers out. Uh, the mothers were upset, like, "Oh, we, we we're here too, we're here too." But I wanted to create this entrance to where uh, our fathers were clapping it up for kids that may not have fathers. Right? So we were able to get about a hundred fathers to come out and just welcome our kids from getting off the bus the first day of school. And so from there, we created like this mentorship program to where those fathers that came out took took the day off of work to come out and, and, and bond with our kids, we created like a mentorship type program to where the kids that didn't have fathers were now able to actively engage and see positivity in terms of like seeing black males. So I think that that's really important in terms of like what we see. But then also, and I know Reef is going to get into this, it's about who you hire. Like kids need to see that kind of thing in schools. So like if you're seeing black males in schools, you're seeing Latino males in schools, then that gives you like this positive imagery of what you want to be and projecting what you want to be in life as a student. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly where I was going to go. Like, we,
3: you know, a lot of times, you know, black men, and, and it's come up a couple of times where they are given messages that they're not welcome, number one. Right. Right, that they're not welcome in schools. And in the, in the actuality, many of our schools might have 99% women. They may not have men inside the school at all. Right, and so that's that's another reason why I just appreciate you know, this, uh, you know, uh, scholar maid, right? Like 25% of her teachers were black men. 25%. As opposed to the national average is 2%. Right, And so this idea of, of engagement, but I think having them feel welcome, we did the same thing. And what we did was, again, we organized. We didn't just want it to be our school, but we organized several schools that we said, hey, we want black men to welcome. And it was like this welcome back to school, welcome back to nation building at the start of school. right? And then what we said was, we don't want you to stop any time because a lot of researchers say oh black men are terrible fathers they say the research is out there that says black men are the most involved and engaged with their children they're telling stories they're coaching them they're mentoring them and their friends they're in the communities they're in the barbershops, right they are they're everywhere so we just had to make sure like okay if they're there and black men are coaching kids like men are adjacent to schools. Okay, then how is a school, how do I make sure to say like we are partners, right? You are my equal, right? And so that is the thing. And it goes back to that holding that that collective accountability. I say as often as possible, don't go up as one parent, two parents, go in as a collective, go in as five people saying like, yeah, where are our bro-? We don't feel welcome here. And that, whether it's, you know, uh, to address your uh, question, or whatever, like as often as possible, even if it's not an issue, show up in tandem. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't go, you know, when we were younger, when we went to go into the store, like sisters, y'all go to the bathroom together, right? <laughs> you know, like, hey, let's go let's walk me to the bathroom. If you walk yourself to the bathroom at during dinner or at a concert, do the same at schools. Mm-hmm. Just say, yo, I gotta go up to the school,
0: come with me. Right, so. Oh, did you want to t- Wait, so can we give before, before you give
1: your comment, can we yeah. give a round of applause? I see all these black men in here, man. Shout out to these black men. I just want to add, I think this is a
2: very important question, but I do think it's going to require uh, a culture change because, number one, we act like there aren't fathers involved who really are. Two, I believe that schools assume that fathers aren't there when they are sometimes, like there, right? And because of that, they put no effort. Into actually inviting you into two things, and I want to be just real too. It's not just the schools in our culture; we are not honoring black fathers who are trying to do something as much as as we could be, and we are disabling them because of that. We are disabling, and we are making we are feminizing spaces of education that shouldn't be feminized, right? I don't I know do about it, that. I'm and, gonna put a disclaimer out there. I don't know where he's going with that, and so. who knows where I'm going to with that, right? <laughs> Am gone. I lying to you? Um, um, there are times. when I showed up the schools would ask me to come in to do something and I didn't know what goes on in schools but I would come anyways and and show up and the first thing I would figure out is they didn't know what to do with me schools don't know what to do with volunteers right like you show up and you're like I'm here I'm doing my duty I'm here I'm like ready to do something and they don't even know what to do with you first of all second of all you are in highly feminized spaces and it's almost like you're always wearing a coat that doesn't fit when you're in that environment you're kind of like you know you you know are people gonna pursue? me the wrong way or whatever and you don't know what to do because you know they're highly feminized spaces and and you know the last thing I'll say about that um, is this like I love it when we tell like like sisters that they should go together like down to the schools. But when it comes to black men building space within the schools, we're really gonna have to do this together too. Like even you standing up and raising this question in this room right now is like, I think, uh, provocative. Like we need to start doing this with each other more. Because a lot of us feel the same thing, but we can't tell each other, right? We are being alienated from family, from community, from church, people don't, like, like people wanted to cry black fathers not being involved, um, but they don't want to honor it when we are right and that's messed up that's jacked up we need to stop that we need to stop that it's not just fathers but fathers I think a lot of times um, are not valued
0: especially black fathers are not valued for what they do and so this is something that we that I I used to deal with as well uh, where there probably wasn't a father in the home What the research says is that a father figure actually adds uh, like high percentage, uh, a better chance that your child would be successful. So the father figure might mean, so maybe that father isn't there, but uncles, brothers, like just men being around. And I can't emphasize enough what Chris said. We gotta, we, we can't, it's not women's work to do the education stuff with your kids, right? Going up to the school is not the woman's job. Or the, it is something very powerful. Is it the same way it's powerful when black women show up to that school. It The room changes when it's a black man in there that knows he's a black man that's in that room and stands up and said check this out I'm the protector of this baby so I need you to do right like people feel like they can get over on women I'm just gonna be honest with you right they try to sweet talk it they try okay stop interrupting me they go they gonna they're gonna, they gonna keep doing that right but like we as a full community got to continue to show up and some folks might say well I don't know what to do here go some simple questions for a father or a mother just so you know right because people want practical things five questions one what's my child's reading level don't just go off a of grade grade is not prefer- efficiency, right? So two, can we set up a regular check-in? Pro- Listen, first flag is if you ask your teacher to set up a check-in and they can't with you, that's a problem and you need to be escalating and you need to be worried, all right? Three, what do you see in my child, okay? These are not, you don't have to have all kind of degrees and stuff to ask these questions. I need to know if you can see the beauty and the positivity in my kid, because if you only see my kid as a thug, we, this ain't going to work. Uh, four, what's the goal for this month? What's the goal for this marking period or whatever? Teachers are supposed to have goals, just so you know. There's supposed to be something that's supposed to happen over a period of time. And if they cannot articulate this to you off the bat, again, a flag, you should worry. And then five, what is your discipline policy? How do you discipline black kids? What does that look like? Because what happens is we live in a system now that is where kindergartners are getting suspended. And arrested. We live in a place where preschoolers are being suspended. So I just wanted to say that piece like build your if you got if you got a father there, go and show up. Here go some simple questions you can ask. And if you don't, find the man your in, in your in your circle and ask them to have your back because again, we gotta do this with community. I say we alone, but when I say we alone, I mean as a collective black people. Now, if we actually adopt that collective black people thing, then you ain't alone. You got some really strong people there that can show up. For for you. And I know they got us to close, but I want to make sure that that question gets asked. Well, they, these, these, they so we, got... we
2: can take one more question, uh-huh. and she's looking like, I didn't have a question, as we pointed <laughs> at her. I didn't have a
1: question, but nope, it looks like you, you have, have question? a question. So take your question, and, so higher order thinking right now, right? I want you to take your question and his question and combine them and make one. <laughs>
0: Yeah. 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 yeah, And can you you stand up? And it looks like we
2: had another one here too that we should take. Okay. So so, why don't we uh, make these two quick questions? All right. All right. Stand up. And clap for this young
6: lady, man. Clap for these are our babies. This is who we are doing this for. My name is Kiria Rice. I'm from Arkansas Baptist College. I'm actually here with Mr. Davis. <laughs> and the question was, what is your take on a licensed educated with degrees that are over 70% Caucasian women, mm-hmm. failure minorities at a higher rate?
0: It's a great wow, question. Talk her, <laughs> right.
2: So you know the earlier question that was asked about what is institutional racism? Institute that that's a big part of institutional racism research tells you a few things that you should be you should pay attention to the first one is it's our brightest and most prepared black students that show up in kindergarten that lose the most ground in the first three years right it's our brightest students that lose the most ground in the first three years someone needs to explain that right teachers generally as you mentioned see our kids as older than they actually are right so if they had to guess the age of your child they all guess older, which means they treat your child as older and that causes problems with discipline or whatnot. These are instit- institutional, I think, racism things. I could keep going. It's the kids that need the most help that get the teachers that are the least qualified to help them, right? That's in district after district after district. That's not an accident. That's not an accident. That didn't just start today. That's been going on for a very long time. But it's operationalized. It's institutionalized. It's weird how all those kids just get into this class and all those teachers get into those classes too, and it's just weird how that goes on year after year after year after year, and nobody interrupts it. On your show today, I, I said, um, if, if white boys were failing at the rate that black boys are failing in our public schools, and all of their teachers were middle-aged black women, we would have fired everybody and shut down the entire institution right. and changed it by now. Right. Right?
0: Right? Yeah. Listen, I mean, and I know this is your thing and I know we got that last question, but when you got 22,000 students and the black kids are under 20 percent proficient and the majority of those teachers are white, that's not teaching. That's a jobs program.
6: Right. Yes.
0: You have to. We have to stop running away from terms like accountability. Right. It ain't got to be a test score per se, but it need to be something that shows that you're doing well by my kid. If you who wants to go to a doctor that ain't got a plaque on their wall, who wants to go to a dentist that don't know how to use that drill in their mouth? Me. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: I'm sorry. So, I can do so, without the drill. So it happens sometimes, <laughs> no, <know>. right?
0: So <laughs> what, what this sister asked a really important question is: this type of body needs to be the body that's showing up to those school board meetings and holding those people accountable and saying, how is this going to be better? Because if y'all all all took y'all kids out of school for a month, if the black kids said, we not coming for a month, I'm telling you things would change. If another country did to our country what we do to black kids in education, we would have dropped the bomb yesterday.
1: Yeah. And another thing that y'all need to do is y'all need to hold these elected officials accountable for, for, for everything under the sun. Leadership. Right? They come to you. Lead, yeah, leadership. Leadership. <laughs> yeah, because they come to you in these spaces. They want to tell you what to do and what not to do, whatever. And then when they get in the office, they forget all about you. They forget all about your vote. They forget everything that they said on their campaign platform is forgotten. So let's hold these elected officials accountable. We got these, uh, these elections coming up. Hold them accountable.
3: And I appreciate you, um, you know, asking that question, you know, the couple with the research that uh, Stewart gave the impact of a black teacher on a black child, a conscious black teacher, not just anybody but if they're conscious, the research says that One, just one black teacher can have a positive impact where less than than 40% less likely to drop out. If They have two black teachers, 32% more likely to go to college. Let's put those two together. Two black teachers, 40% less likely to drop out, 32% more likely to go to college. And then let's add on what we know, the positive racial identity. This is nothing more important for a black child to have a positive sense of self. Because we already know that they're gonna be bombarded with messages that they are worthless. But if we can have teachers be stopgaps for that, then that can be so powerful, right? But that also, if we have black teachers, men and women, inside of these schools, then they can also be vanguards to make sure that that white teacher next door, or that unconscious black teacher next door, is held accountable so that we don't have six-year-olds saying, this
1: is why I'm being treated this way I know it's February I know we blackity black but some of these black teachers suck Oh, stop. Stop it. <laughs> what? They are awful. What? Some of them are awful, right? Like, some, some of them, like, they dehumanize kids. They get you to the point to where it's like, damn, I know we're black, but I, I got to come for you. Yeah. I have to. So I, wanna, I want my kid to be in a, what are you, why are you talking
0: over mm-hmm. me? Fam, we're trying to make sure that uh, the, a person gets their question answered. And I know we had to get to that other question so time didn't run out. Yeah, so. But what, I wasn't trying to interrupt you. I, I was we was trying have to two get questions left, left, but I will say
2: this about Ray's comment that he just made that is crazy um, that some of you black teachers say I will say it a little differently which is just because you're saying it different don't mean it (laughs) I will say it a little differently because I think what you said is whack so so It is possible. I take no offense to that. I I, I will say black teachers sometimes join the system and become the system in the same way that some black officers join police departments. It's a little different
1: because you were like, you black teachers suck. You trying to to water things down and whatnot, bro? Don't try to take away from this message right here. If you suck, you suck. And as black folks, we need to be able to tell other black people that they suck. You suck. Please don't tell them that. (laughs) Please tell them Something different than that, yeah. man. I'm not. I, I don't. I don't. I don't want my energy to be whitewashed. If you suck, you suck. Yep. Yeah, that's New York. Don't do, don't don't. I, I'm
2: telling you. I'm telling you from Minnesota. That's no kind of relationship. Don't do that. Don't do that. You need to move. So yes. We'll, we'll so there was one more question over here. I thought I saw a hand up. Over, yeah,
0: right yes. right here. This sister right here.
6: So. my microphone. Okay. So. In 2014, I had, became a widow unexpectedly, and I ended up having to work. Or I chose to work in the school to be close to my children because they were having separation anxiety. And once I became an administrative assistant, I was able to see the actual injustices that Black students were, you know, receiving. The fact that I'm entering in attendance and suspensions, and there are more Black kids getting suspended than there were White kids who were just getting detention in in, in school suspension and the principal was constantly making excuses for black children who i mean white children whose parents were incarcerated um, on drugs um, parents were deceased and so I took that personal because my son and my daughter's father, father's deceased. So it's like, if I wasn't here, what injustice would he be receiving? And to be honest, I became an inside advocate because when my black students were coming up there, I mean, I didn't treat white or black any differently. But when my black students were coming up there, I was sneaking to the side calling. Mom was like, hey, daddies, y'all need to come up here. This is what's going on. This is what needs to be done. But it can't be to a point to where... I'm advocating because I was giving them all inside information. I'm like, ask for the video, camera footage, everything. I'm letting them know everything. But it can't be to a point where I'm advocating for your child more than you're advocating for your child. And it's sad that you can go to court dates and you'll see more mamas, grandmas, aunties, sisters, cousins while they're getting sentenced or down at the prison putting money on their books. But ain't nobody showing up to the school conferences. So how do we as a community go about encouraging more parents to be involved. And it's just piggybacking because I can sit in that school and there are black teachers who are advocating for these students as well. But when you're not fighting for your children, there are only so much that the people inside the school can do.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I think a big part of the... This- First of all, I want to commend you for what you're doing. Like we need more people to stand up for children on the inside. You know, the same. You know, someone in Philadelphia said something very similar. Every time I got a black person a job, I created another white person, right? You know, because their mentality was no longer aligned. Same thing with the politicians. Sometimes they're no longer aligned. So I appreciate you being there and not thinking that this is just a job. I am there as a vanguard. I am there as an advocate. I am there from the, representing the community. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that uh, you know that that we made as a people that we were sold on is this idea of just trust the institution. We're suspicious of so many institutions, but the school system, we want to automatically trust. It feels good to be able to just trust the school system. That's no different than any other institution. It goes back to that institutional racism. That term is for a reason. That school, that district is an institution, and you have to treat it and approach it as such. So I appreciate that and we you got I would say continue to get the word out and continue to have these type what I would love to see is the next school board meeting <laughs> that someone sends a picture
0: that this kind of group is there. Right. Yeah, right. And and we, we have to wrap, but I'm going to ask you this very quickly uh, because they, this person wrote this down. I'm a third-year teacher, and I'm currently teaching at my third school because I've seen the same pattern in every school I've worked at. Black kids are getting poor education, poor food, no water, and the least amount of resources and accommodations. I try very hard to be a light in a dark place, but I don't want my light to dim because the public school system is literally failing my children. I just need some advice. I'm a Leave it to you to, to to end us on that, so you can take us out. Um, but that First person off, wrote that. Who so. wrote that? Give them a round of applause. That's amazing. <clears throat> And you need to move to
1: New York, because I got a job for you. <laughs> well, I really uh, oh.
2: Recruiting, and Little Rock, you just lost a
1: black educator.
3: <laughs> I mean, the, and we can talk av- afterwards. The, the one thing I would say like when I hear stories like this, first of all, thank you for you know, remaining conscious and remaining that light. I would say the, the second thing, the one thing that opp- the oppressor wants is for you to feel that you are alone. I can guarantee you, in some of these schools there are other people who have the same mindset that you do. Find them. Find them. That one, two, three. When you're building those type of coalitions, you just have so much more power. So that's the first thing. You know, now we can definitely have a, a you know more nuanced conversation to get more details. But find the other light workers in these school environments, and then also find the light workers that are outside. It's an inside-outside game, yeah. the internal
2: as well as the external. That's how how you get things done. So. Um This has been a great conversation. We need to wrap the conversation with final thoughts from each of the hands. And this is where you get to see just how right I am all of the time (laughs) and how they're going to be wrong. But we're going to start at the furthest end with Ray. What are your final thoughts after everything that's been said? So
1: so I'm going to do something. It's it's unusual that I do things like this, but I'm I'm going to give my... You going to make sense? Because that's unusual. But go ahead, bro. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, man. Bro, it's taking all of God and humanity for me to, like, for me to hold this in right now. So, yo, yo, I want to pass my final thoughts to somebody that's running for office back here. What, what do you What do you have to is, is there anybody Raise your hand if you're running for office If you If you're running for office So sir What 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 are you going to do for these For these black parents in here that want better education for their kids You stand up You take my final thoughts
7: Okay I'm on the spot I'm Jonathan Warren I'm running for juvenile judge Division Ten. And so everybody in this room is here for a reason, and y'all know that education is important. And so my role, should I be elected Tuesday, and I'll be around to talk to anybody, is to A, make sure that the system is right and fair, period. And part of what I want to do, should I be elected, is to make sure the kids know about education and to implement reading programs and things like that that I can do because once you get your education, and everybody in this room knows this, you can be anything that you want to be and don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't do something. So that's what I want to do. Thank you. Thank Part you. Part of it at least. But thank you. That's, thank that's you. That's the short version. Um,
3: final thought, Sheree. Yeah. Um, um, my final thought is you're you're gonna hear a lot of people tell you what to do about your children, what only traditional systems work. If you close down every option for black families, would that alone improve our lot? And if it wouldn't, then don't give an inch to anybody that's trying to decrease your access, your options, and your
0: opportunity for you, your children, as well as your community. Beautiful. Uh, My final thought, first off, thank you all for having us. This has been great, man. I really, really appreciate you all. Um, My final thought is, look at this room. If you don't know each other, if you don't got each other's phone number, get it. Because this room by itself, even a quarter of it, if you actually move together, you are really, really, really powerful. And you have to understand that at the end of the day, we are on our own and we are responsible for us. So I would be down, if a group out of this did happen, I'd be down to, to, to try to fly in and try to Zoom in and do video conferencing to do actual practical solutions that you all are trying to deal with. Because we got a lot of philosophy and there's a lot of beautiful things that we can say. But at the end of the day, when you go into that school and the rubber hits the road and you're still frustrated, you want some solutions, right? So the first solution is to build an actual village here. Y'all don't have to like each other. You don't have to agree on everything. There's a term called interest convergence. Find out the one or two things, the mission that y'all have together, whether it's getting that little boy in and through the system, I swear if just that side of the room rallied around that little boy, he he will do whatever he wants to do. We are responsible for our community. Stop giving up our power and our agency to people who we not their responsibility.
2: Mm. Give it up for Charles. Um I want to thank you all for having us in your community and for us having this conversation with you. The final thought that I have for you is I don't love anything more than I love my children and actually I wouldn't be sitting on this stage if I hadn't been a parent that had a problem at some point. If I hadn't encountered a time where I felt like I was gonna fail and I wasn't gonna do the best for my child and that actually made me a lifelong activist and want to help other people like with the same same issues that I had. But I will say this to you not everybody believes that your child has unsurpassable worth given to them by God, right? I believe that my children have unsurpassable worth granted to them by a mighty God, and I think yours do too. And I think it's our job to wake up every day and to act like we actually believe that. And we can't do that if we are letting systems uh, have their way with our kids and we're having people who want to literally shut down options that we have. My children have had to rely on multiple different options to get an education. And I want that for every parent in every community to be able to know that you will never hit a dead end. Unsurpassable worth granted to them by a mighty, mighty God. That's what I'm going re- re- to uh, let you guys go with. Thank you so much, go To Rock. We appreciate you.
1: You have been listening to the A Black Hands Podcast. With Ankrum, Cole, El and Stuart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8 Black Hands1. Thank you for listening.